You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, good evening. We turn your Bible to Genesis 25. We're going to be looking just at a few verses here. Really, the heart of this passage that we're going to look at is verses 19 to 23. I want to thank Tom for filling in so admirably this morning. I, uh, my son Seth played a series of games at my alma mater, Enterprise, this weekend, and, and so I went down there. Uh, and so it, it cut into study time and everything, and, and so I wanted Tom to fill in. And uh, I will say that uh, we didn't do so well against my alma mater. Um, at one time, I, 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 there were some eagles flying above the, the field, and I said, look at those beautiful eagles. And my dad said, those aren't eagles, those are buzzards. <laughs> and uh, they clearly smelled death as my alma mater, 10-run ruled, my son's baseball team, but hopefully we'll get them back in the playoffs. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to continue to bless what he has already blessed this morning or this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. Thank you that uh, we know you as the ancient of days, but we know you as more. You are sovereign, you are eternal, and you are our father because of your adopting grace in your son. And Lord, there's no passage in the Bible after Genesis 3.15 that doesn't speak to that in some way. We pray that we could see that tonight and behold you in the face of your son by your spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's an important day because there's some monumental birthdays today. Comedian Carrot Top turned 59 today. Wrestling champ, Nature Boy Ric Flair turned 75 today. No sound effects out there. <laughs> Sally, Ra- uh, uh, Sally Jesse Raphael, the, the TV hostess, and actress Karen Grassel both turn 82 today. Now, most birthdays, even the birthdays of celebrities, do not change history. Now, you could make a case for Karen Grassel, who played Karen, Carolyn Ingalls on Little House on the Prairie. Uh, but with the line of promise that we have seen since the birth of Seth, whose name means appointed one, we, we have the string of eternity impacting births that will ultimately culminate in the incarnation of the Son of God, the hope of the world. We see that as we come to this passage with the birth of Jacob. Now, he won't be born until the next time we preach in the next passage in this chapter, but this is the chapter on the birth of Jacob. It's one of those eternity-impacting texts. Now, as we saw briefly last week, before Genesis transitions from Abraham to Isaac, there is this short passage on on Ishmael. Um, And we saw that we've seen through Genesis that it's organized around 10 histories, each 
which fall under, you could say, the heading of generations, or maybe your translation reads records. We'll see that tonight in verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac. But we saw it last time. These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. And then we read the list of names. I'll just read verse 13 to give you the firstborn's um, names that were born of Ishmael. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaoth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Cater. Now, those two names are important, and I will speak to that in just a moment. Um, but as Nathan Moore, uh, one of our members, uh, came up to me last week and asked me, he noted that when you read the generations of Ishmael, that verse 17 reads like what we saw in, in the account of Abraham last week. It says, these are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And we saw this last week in verse 8, Abraham breathed his, breathed his last and died and he was gathered to his people. And, and what we noted last week with that kind of language is that it indicates that Abraham, when he died, was going to go and be ushered into the company of the redeemed. And here it says the same thing about Ishmael. And so Nathan asked me the question, do you believe that Ishmael became a believer? Well, it's hard to say, but it's the same language. And it sounds like that there is, this is hopeful language. And, and I would submit, and this is what I told Nathan, I believe that you can make a strong case that Ishmael was converted at some point. Now, why would I say that? Well, in the book of Isaiah, when you have this promise that when the, the suffering servant would come, the, the spirit-endowed servant, Isaiah 61, uh, the Stem from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11, this mighty counselor, this prince of peace, Isaiah 9, this one born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, when he comes, all the nations would stream to him. And here's one of the promises in Isaiah 60, verse 7. Listen to this. All the flocks of Kedar. Now, who is that? We just read about him. He is the firstborn son of Ishmael. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaoth. Who is that? That is Ishmael's second born son. They shall minister to you. And so we certainly see that Ishmael's line will have converts to the line of Isaac that we know culminates in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, I wanted to, to speak to that for a moment because I do think we can make a strong case that Ishmael was converted. And this should not, should not surprise us because we have learned since Genesis 12 that all the nations will be blessed through Abraham's offspring. But one of the things we need to learn as we come to our passage, and Genesis has been driving this home throughout uh, it, the book, is that what we need in a Messiah, in a Savior, only God can provide. And we continue to see that tonight in Genesis 25. And what we see, first of all, is a problem 
produced prayer. And here's the problem. There's no child of promise for Isaac and Rebekah. Look with me in verse 20, or verse 19, rather. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, it seems counterintuitive to our natural instinct to be kind of health, wealth, and prosperity in our approach to God. Now, I know you don't have that instinct because you've been born again. You have the Spirit of God. But in our natural state, we have this sense that, that God should just lavish nothing but blessings on us because we're, we're, at heart, good people. We're not as bad as most people, okay? That's, that's the way a lot of people think. And so counter, this is counterintuitive to that. Why? Because Ishmael has, has 12 sons. And here's the son of promise whose wife is barren. We just, this counterintuitive kind of uh, motif you see throughout the Bible. Interestingly enough, all the matriarchs and other great women of God in the Bible were barren. So we, we saw it with Sarah. We see it here with Rebecca. We're going to see it uh, with Rachel and Leah. We're going to see it with the mother of Samson. We don't know her name. We're not told. But she's the mother of Samson. Well, we will see it with Elizabeth, John the Baptist's uh, mother. Uh, you see this time and time again, the barrenness of the great women of God, and in this case, the matriarchs of, of Scripture. Now, here's the question. Is God just playing games with these people? Well, no. God is teaching all people, all people in redemptive history and, and those following redemptive history, the people of God in church history, that what fallen humanity needs, what we need, only God can provide, okay? That, that's what he's teaching us. Of course, we know that from Genesis 1.31 that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. But we sinned. We went AWOL in our commission to be God's prophet, priest, and kings in Adam. And instead of taking um, dominion on behalf of God, we went rogue in Adam and the earth, the world, came under the curse of sin. And everything was ruined. But beginning with Abraham, most specifically, of course we see it in, uh, in, in Noah and in others before, then, before Abraham, God begins to lay out his history of salvation that will ultimately reverse the curse. The problem for us is that we have this idolatrous capacity, okay, for crediting ourselves 
and for not seeing, for not acknowledging our need for the work, the omnipotent work of God. And so it's the wisdom of God who knows our tendency to fail to understand this. This tendency we have to fail to recognize that our greatest needs only he can provide. And so God is teaching us through these these barren women that if salvation is to come, it will be because he brings it. It will be all of grace. And so from the beginning of the history of salvation, God has to open the womb of the mothers, which will climax in the incarnation and a virgin conception. In fact, I believe the the barrenness of these mothers are a metaphor for our, our condition before God. It's a metaphor for the whole created order that's under the curse of God. Now, we saw last time, or we, we saw in Abraham's account with Sarah, that they had to wait for many years. And for us, it was 10 and a half chapters in Genesis before they could have a child. Well, with Sarah, uh, as with Sarah, Rebecca here is reported as barren. Now, it reminds me of this whole account with, with, with uh, uh, Isaac and, and Rebecca. reminds me uh, of my childhood when uh, I would watch the Charlie Brown specials. And, and I remember uh, in, in 1976, the, there was an Arbor Day special uh, where a new character is introduced, um, and his name was Rerun. Um, and, and Rerun was Lucy and Linus' brother. It probably wasn't his real name, but it was probably a nickname given by Lucy because she was wanting a little sister, and instead another brother is born, and so he gets the nickname Rerun. Uh, same thing all over again, okay? Of course, by the late 1990s, Rerun's like the star of the show in the Charlie Brown specials. Well, this is kind of a, a rerun here. You, you have uh, Isaac, uh, who, who goes through many of the struggles and, and providences, uh, providences that his, his father goes through. It's a rerun, in many ways, of his, of his father. And in our present text, uh, one of these similarities is the similarity of providence. It, uh, right there, they are barren and not just any person is barren, the, the mother of promise, the wife of promise is barren. Remember, the hope of the world resides in their marriage. If they don't bear children, there is not only no hope for them, there is no hope for the world. That is the situation. And, and so uh, we see here, that instead, though, of Isaac doing what his father did, which was to have an affair with Hagar in order to help God out, he has learned something from just observing the negative consequences of that. Instead of going to some servant in his household what does, he, what does he do? It says here that he, he prayed. He prayed. And remarkably, we see here that God answered. The Lord 
that Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And we're going to see next that the Lord granted his prayer. It's a remarkable, remarkable uh, text. Now think about this. Um, it, it looks like that it, it just came easy. But verse 26 tells us that Isaac was 60 years old when she bore uh, their sons. And, and he's 40 uh, when he married Rebecca. And so we can only imagine the frustration they would have had with this situation. It's like we often feel. Uh, we, we, we often feel that it's so difficult for us to receive God's blessings, for God's blessings to come. But texts like this remind us that, that God's blessings come, but they come in God's timing. All right? And, and, it, and they come in such a way to grow us up. Because sanctification never goes on sabbatical. God's work of sanctification in us never takes a weekend. It never takes a day off. It never sleeps in. All right? It, it never hits snooze. God is always at work conforming his people into the image of his son. Always. And so even with the blessings that God has for us, he brings them to us in such a way that we grow up in the process. And so in the school of sanctification, one class that every person has to take, I call this, the, it's a graduate level class, the art of waiting. In every school of sanctification, there is a class you have to take in order to pass the art of waiting. Now, I want you to remember when Rebecca um, left with the caravan to marry Isaac, uh, her family sang this blessing. If you'll notice back in chapter 24, verse 60, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. And yet, she's barren. And so when Rebecca met Isaac and, and heard him reiterate that promise of offspring, uh, that his seed would be as numerous as the stars, as the sands of the sea, she probably expected she was going to get pregnant very soon. But it did not happen. And it was for their good. And it was for our good. I love this statement by William Steele. William Steele was Sinclair Ferguson and Alistair Begg's mentor, pastored the same church in Scotland for 51 years. And here's what he said in one of his books. If all God's blessings were on tap, that is, we just could have them like we have tap water. Just go to the tap and, you know, get your water. If all God's blessings were on tap, we would forget the God behind the supply. And that would be a disaster. But the supply is not only the gift, but his means of drawing us. That's a wonderful statement. 
And in this case, it, it has that effect. And so while they're waiting for the promised son, they do not repeat Abraham and Sarah's sins. We don't read about Isaac going rogue like his father. What he did is what every believer should do in times of waiting, in times of longing, whether you're a single person who longs to be married, or whether you're a married person who longs for a child, or an unemployed person who longs for a job, or if you're an employed person who longs for a, a different boss, whatever the case might be, he went quorum Deo. He went before the face of God. That's what he does. Notice, he prayed to the Lord for his wife. And there's a detail missing in the English that is, this is literally what this would say. He prayed in front of or towards Rebecca. And so we can envision him standing or maybe sitting um, before Rebecca and he is pleading he is, he, is, he, is, um, he is coming to the throne of grace with urgency and desperation and faith and hope and love and worship. He continues to storm the throne room of grace before his wife. Of course, these things happen, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 6, as examples to us. And so this teaches us, as Psalm 55 says, cast all your burdens on the Lord. This is what he is doing. It's a remarkable text for us. And for him to pray like this, remember, to pray like this reflects faith. Isaac, he's imperfect. We're going to see that later on. But he's a man of faith. He believes in the promise. And, and so... His prayer reflects his faith in the promise. And the promise is this. The, the son of promise is coming through you and Rebecca. But it does not negate his responsibility, which is to pray, to trust. Well, that brings us to the second part of that. And we just saw this. We've seen this problem uh, produced prayer. And here we see a promise provoked answer to prayer. God answers the prayer provoked by the promises that he has made for, to Isaac and Abraham's seed. And what is the answer to that, pro, uh, that prayer? The child of promise. So second part of verse 21, it says, and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. He granted his prayer but remember, it required waiting. Again, if you are waiting on the Lord, and again, that is a class you have to go through to graduate in the school of sanctification, he is showing you. He is more concerned with what you become in the way than what you receive after waiting, okay? Clearly, this was written for our benefit, but the waiting is also for their benefit. Isaac and Rebekah were not ready for the answer to their desires. They weren't ready for the promise. And so God had them wait. And yet, the Lord answered. But it would be a tumultuous 
pregnancy. Notice in verse 22. The children struggled together within her. Literally, here's what it says. The children smashed themselves inside her. Wow. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? I mean, if, if, if this is the answer to my prayer, why, why is this so complicated, Lord? Why is this so difficult? You've answered my prayers. You, you have been faithful to your promise, but why is this happening? Why is this happening? As always the case, in this case, prayers to have children soon give way to prayers for the children that God gave them in the praying. That's often the case. God gives us a blessing, and then that blessing becomes a point of dependency itself. All right? That's why we need to learn to be content and wait on the Lord, because when he does provide what you are waiting on, it doesn't get any easier because sanctification school meets 365 days a year. Well, that's where they are here. There's no snow days from this school. It's always in session. And this teacher doesn't sleep or slumber, okay? He's always at work, and that's for our good. It's for his glory and for our good. But it's not always comfortable. And we see here, she is struggling. But here's what she does. This is her example for us again. She went to inquire of the Lord. I love that. She went to inquire of the Lord. I generally go horizontal when I'm struggling with something. And they're teaching us that really isn't effective. Go vertical. Go vertical. And so just like her husband, she goes vertical. She went to inquire of the Lord. And so God answered her prayer, but now they have to pray about the answer to the prayer. You see, the Lord uses our circumstances. And, and this occurred to me one time when I took Ava bowling. Um, she wasn't as an accomplished bowler as me. Because I, I, I bowled a 158 one time. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And, and, but she kept bowling, uh, you know, rolling the ball into the gutter. So what they did is they put... Uh, those bumpers, right, on the gutters so that when you roll the ball, it kind of just centers the ball. It keeps the ball from going in the gutter, all right? Left to ourselves, we would go into the gutter. So God puts bumpers in our life. He puts circumstances in our life to keep us centered on him, to keep us tethered to him. And so barrenness kept Isaac tethered to God. And now the difficulty of this, this pregnancy keeps Rebecca tethered to God. And so the struggles in our lives are actual graces, even as he's growing us and maturing us because he loves us more than we love ourselves. Understand that. He's more concerned with us than anybody else is concerned with us. And he is infinite in his wisdom. He's infinite in his goodness. And as the old TV show was titled, Father Knows Best. 
And so this is good for her, and she goes to the Lord. And again, we see here the fruits of two believers. These are two praying people. Both are seeking the face of the Lord in their struggles. But what she hears back was of cosmic significance. Brings us to the final verse of this passage. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, this introduces the theme of conflict that will be the earmark, the characteristic of Jacob's life, um, especially with his brother Esau. Of course, the source of that conflict goes back to Genesis 3.15 because Jacob is the seed of the woman and, and, and Esau is the seed of the serpent. We're going to see that when he sells his birthright, which is inheritance, his gospel inheritance, if you will, um, because he's, of his appetites, all right? And as messed up as Jacob is, he's a man of faith. He's the seed of the woman, and, and so you have this conflict that never goes away in the Bible. And so we see it even in the womb, even as Rebecca is, is carrying these two boys, this conflict. So what does this oracle mean? Well, it should have been clear to both Isaac and to Rebecca, this is God's way of telling them that the promised Savior would come from the line of the younger son, the, the one who would be born after the oldest son who was Isaac or, or Esau. Now, this verdict is going to reverse the status quo of fallen society. Indeed, this reversal is repeatedly emphasized in Scripture in Genesis because the firstborn is the heir, right? Well, uh, think about this. The older Cain's offering was rejected while the younger Abel's offering was accepted. Seth, the even younger brother, was the chosen line. Isaac was chosen over Ishmael. Ishmael was born first. We'll see Judah was chosen over his older brothers. But before we close, we'd be remiss if we do not consider Paul's inspired perspective on this passage. Paul picks up this passage to teach us something about God's sovereignty. Yes, in who the line of Messiah would be, but also in salvation. In Romans 9, Paul is musing on this passage, this very passage. Now, I have seen preachers, I, I kid you not, I know at least two preachers, you would know who they are. Uh, they, they didn't preach here, but you would know who they are. That would preach Romans 1 to 8, and then take a break from Romans, and then come back to chapter 12, as if 9 to 11 doesn't even exist, okay? But here's what Paul says in Romans 9, as he is musing on this very passage, Romans 9, verse 10. 
And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man and forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. I didn't put that in there. I didn't break into your room last night and cut and paste that there. It's been there for 2,000 years. Not because of works, but because of his call. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, this is from Malachi, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Now, if that seems a little distasteful to your palate, then you're understanding what Paul is saying. Because he immediately raises the question that is raised in people's minds when they read this. And here's what he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? It seems unjust because our fallen sense of justice doesn't resonate with what Paul just said. And so he raises the hypothetical question. But here's what Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And I want you to note in all of this, God offers no explanations. If Paul was going to explain, because we know that humans are responsible, they're culpable, they're moral agents, but we also see that God is sovereign over all things. If it was going to be explained anywhere, it would be explained in Romans 9. And all Paul says is, is there injustice on God's part? No. And then he moves on. He offers no explanations, no apologies. But here's what should have happened. As the sons are born, and we're going to see that this does not happen, as the boys grew, they should have been prepared and should have embraced the destiny's plan for them. And here's what should have happened. Esau should have been prepared to find his blessing in the promised son, his brother. Okay? Knowing that the salvation is coming through the line of, of Jacob. We're going to see that he doesn't do that. And, and Jacob should have been prepared for his role as the godly ancestor of Messiah. But just like Tom uh, preached this morning, uh, we are a, an aroma of the knowledge of the Lord. Well, again, let me just tell you, Jacob is a bad aroma uh, for a lot of his life, even though he is the son of promise, the far off grandfather of the Messiah. Let me close with these words from Robert Canlish. This prophecy that we see in verse 23 was really a proclamation of the gospel. It directed them to the quarter from whence the Savior was to come. It pointed out Jacob as virtually, for the time, the representative of the Redeemer. And in him, the far-reaching eye of faith might have seen the day of Christ afar off. And you could say from that, that time in redemptive history, Jacob would function as another Adam, another image bearer. You could say image, son, prophet, priest, and king. But we're going to learn real quickly. He's a bad representation of the one to come. 
In fact, the entire Old Testament is an apologetic. As great as some of the men in the Old Testament are, we need a one greater than him. And that is the Messiah, the one in whom Jacob points. Adam comes forward. We recognize that um, in a service with this many people, not everyone knows the one in whom Jacob points. You're not born to know him. You're born again to know him. Now, you can't regenerate yourself. God does that. But you can cry out, Lord, give me the new birth. But you do have responsibility to repent of your sins and to believe in the one in whom Rebecca, uh, uh, Rebecca and Isaac and their son points. So I want to give you an opportunity tonight. We're going to have our pastors here at the end of the, the aisle as Adam sings or leads us in song. Please respond to the one that Jacob points, the one who will come and he will be righteous incarnate and he will take our sins on the cross. The sins of Jacob, our sins, and God's wrath will be satisfied in that cross and then he will be raised that we might have the forgiveness of sins. It's what the Bible is preparing us for in the Old Testament. Won't you respond to that this evening as we stand and sing? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.